0: Welcome back. This is Daily Buddhism Audio Show number 52. My name is Brian Schell, and I'm your host for the show. You can download the text, as well as all links mentioned in this program and all past episodes, on the website at www.dailybuddhism.com. We're going to cover some really great questions in this week's episode. Of all the stuff we do in the Daily Buddhism, I like answering your questions the most. So send in your question by email or voicemail to Brian at DailyBuddhism.com, or call the voicemail line at 937-660-4949. Any question is good. Before we get onto the show, I need to make a note of our sponsor, Mighty Leaf Tea. Brings you the widest variety of high-quality teas, teaware, and tea-related gifts right to your door. You can even keep your regular Buddhist tea rituals with Mighty Leaf Tea. For special deals and free sample teas with every order, check out www.dailybuddhism.com tea. That's T-E-A. And now, let's get on with this week's show. Okay, first up, we have a guest post this week. And this time's guest post is from Thomas Hockman, a former English teacher and a student of Buddhism since 2002. Today he'll lead us through something called transformational practice. His blog can be found at www.hockman.org, and you can follow him on Twitter with the little at symbol, Hockman, H-O-C-H-M-A-N-N. And here we go. Transformational Practice by Thomas Hockman When you think of religion, what comes to mind? Here in the USA, I believe most people would answer with words like church, God, prayer, belief, faith, etc. For myself, the words faith and belief were always synonymous with religion. It always seemed to me that religion was primarily an exercise of the heart and the mind, something private between oneself and the cosmos. Over time, I have come to see that my understanding of religion, and spirituality in general, was only half of the equation. I owe perhaps the deepest gratitude to a Vietnamese monk named Thich Nhat Hanh, also known as Thay. Let me show you why with a quote from his book, Living Buddha, Living Christ. Our faith must be alive. It cannot be just a set of rigid belief and notions. Our faith must evolve every day and bring us joy, peace, freedom, and love. Faith implies practice, living our daily life in mindfulness. Some people think that prayer or meditation involves only our minds or our hearts. But we also have to pray with our bodies with our actions in the world. And our actions must be modeled after those of the living Buddha, or the living Christ. If we live as they did, we will have deep understanding and pure actions. And those were the words of Thich Nhat Hanh. Thay is well known for representing engaged Buddhism, Buddhism and action. He has written many wonderful books, but everything he has ever said or written is summarized in the quote above. For him, Buddhism and Christianity, and every other religion, are not effective unless they are put into practice, here and now, in the real world we live in. Religion cannot be just something that you think about, or even something that you feel. It needs to become part of everything you do. Thay talks extensively about the difference between devotional practice and transformational practice. In my early approaches to Buddhism, I paid attention only to the devotional side. Growing up in a scientifically-minded family and spending all my time studying, it was natural for me to focus on the brainy parts. Perhaps knowing that people like me would see things that way, the Buddha was careful to emphasize both sides of the equation. If you have confidence in the Dharma, if you practice the Dharma, I am always with you. The Buddha Have confidence in the Dharma is what they calls devotional practice. This is having faith in the teachings and believing them with every fiber of your being. In your mind, you accept those truths. And in your heart, you believe them strongly. Practice the Dharma is what they calls transformational practice. That means using the teachings and your faith as the fuel for concrete action in everyday life. You mindfully use your spiritual knowledge to promote goodness, healing, love, and positivity. In that way, the Buddha is always with you. Your actions stem from what the Buddha taught, and so bring him to life in you. As long as the Buddha's teachings are confined to books, websites, and the reasoning brain, the Buddha is dead. It is not until the Buddha comes out in our actions that he is alive. As an example, take the five precepts in Buddhism. Refrain from destroying life, from stealing, from speaking unskillfully, Lying, manipulating, etc., from misusing sexuality, and from taking intoxicants. These make up an excellent code of conduct. However, if you see them as merely somebody else's rules being imposed on you, they will do little good. The first step is to look deeply into the precepts and know their truth deeply in your heart. If you know in your heart that it's a bad thing to steal, This is devotional practice. You know that it's wrong to steal literally. For example, taking someone's bicycle. As well as in subtle ways, wasting somebody's time. Knowing this in a deep way will form the basis for actions in line with what you are devoted to. Your actions will be such that you will avoid stealing bicycles and wasting people's time. Because you truly know the negative side. This is transformation. Your actions express the truths that you know and the things that you believe. The power of any religion or spiritual tradition is not just to settle our hearts or to tantalize our minds. The real power is to shape our actions. Accepting the teachings of Buddha or Jesus or any great teacher is a good first step. But the real value of those teachings is when they become the foundation for every breath, every thought, every word, and every act. Transformational practice is an ongoing process that never ends. Being spiritual, being enlightened, is not like graduating from college. You graduate from college and you are now a college graduate. You don't have to do anything more to be a college graduate. That label is a label of state. A label of accomplishment. It's forever true from that point on. But enlightenment and wisdom don't work that way. You have to be enlightenment and wisdom. John Dado Laurie, in his book, The Heart of Being, said, We need to understand that Master Dogen's statement, there is no enlightenment without morality, and no morality without enlightenment arises directly from his equation, Practice is Enlightenment. And then next we had a very short little koan called Everything is Best. When Banzan was walking through a market, he overheard a conversation between a butcher and his customer. Give me the best piece of meat you have said the customer. Everything in my shop is the best, replied the butcher. You cannot find here any piece of meat that is not the best. And at these words, Benzan became enlightened. And next up was a short book review, and the book this time is called Natural Wakefulness, Discovering the Wisdom We Were Born With by Galen Ferguson. It's been put out by Shambhala Publications. It's 204 pages and will be released on April 14, 2009. You can't get this one yet, but it's coming soon. And as always, there is a link to buy it from Amazon. The beginning of this book explains that we are born awake, but quickly get mired down in the daily Day to day work of living. And this is just the way things work in the world. But, as Buddhists know, we can awaken to reality and become enlightened. In his book, Galen Ferguson focuses on reawakening, or enhancing that natural wakefulness from which we all enter this world. The book is clearly written with everyday English and a minimum of jargon a feature of which I completely approve. He covers a large number of topics and includes chapters on mindfulness of body meditation, mindfulness of feeling, awareness of the mind's flow, seeing beyond hope and fear, an awakening from the nightmare of materialism, and many more topics. Galen Ferguson received his training from the Tibetan master, Chogyam Trungpa Rinpoche, And if you have read any other books by any of his other students, you'll see much here that's familiar. The book is heavily focused on meditation and improving your meditation practice. There are quite a few meditation exercises and ideas that you can incorporate into your own practice. There's a section at the end that explains the sources of many of the quotes used in the book. This is not just the basic bibliography that you'll find in any book but also some of the context, which was very interesting. There's also a short section of additional resources, most of which are tied in with Shambhala Centers. This is an excellent book to help you get more serious with your meditation practice. It's probably not the best choice for the absolute novice at meditation, but if you've been sitting for maybe a couple of weeks, or at least long enough to know how to get started, and are running into problems, then this might be a good next step. The author's focus on learning to trust that we are already naturally awake is an interesting point of view with which to work, and he often emphasizes the importance and benefits of making the commitment to a regular meditation practice. And then it was time for a reader question. A reader wrote in, Brian, I've been practicing for eight years. I will soon be going to an attorney to do my will. I plan to be cremated. To be buried as a Buddhist, what other arrangements should I include in my will? And my answer? We discussed the preference of most Buddhists to be cremated before, and there's a link in the show notes to the previous article. There were many great comments and additional thoughts on that post, so be sure to check out those comments. But now on to this question. First, I'm not a lawyer, and my own will doesn't contain anything special about my funeral. I'll be dead. I don't really care. As far as special arrangements put into your will are concerned, that would be up to you. Like many other Buddhist practices and rituals, funerals are heavily influenced by the local culture. If you live and die in Japan or China, you would probably want a Japanese- or Chinese-style funeral. Similarly, if you're an American or European, you would probably want a funeral that is normal for your homeland. If, however, you want a Japanese-style funeral in America, or any other non-standard combination, you should probably make arrangements for that beforehand. In the previous article that I mentioned was in the show notes, Some of the commenters mentioned that they wanted a simple, environmentally friendly funeral. Now, these are things to discuss with your attorney. But if you really want it done right, you may want to contact a funeral director and talk about pre-planning. There's always a chance that the executor of your estate won't know anything about Buddhism. And you probably don't want a Zen ceremony if you're a Tibetan, or the other way around so it's best to be very clear about these things. But I really don't have much in the way of advice about this, so I'll ask for reader input here. If you've done anything in your will, or made any special after-death arrangements that relate to your Buddhism, please explain in the comment section of the website, www.dailybuddhism. There's a link to this article on the show notes. Just type in your comment, click Leave Comment, and others can read what you've done. And another question. Can you please tell me the name and origin of the Buddhist blessing where a monk ties a blessed string around a person's wrist? Thank you from a new listener. And my answer is, this is very common in Thailand and is called Sai Sin. As you already said, it's a form of blessing or good luck charm. It's often done as a thank you for those who donate or otherwise help the monks in Thailand, although a monk may choose to do this for anyone at any time. There seems to be some debate on just how long you can leave the string on. Some will say that it's just part of the ritual and you can throw it away right after the ceremony, while others will tell you to keep the string on until it comes off by itself, as much as several years later. If you do a quick Google search of Sai Sin, you'll find several websites that all give differing descriptions of the meaning and importance of the string. Some say it wards off bad spirits, while others call it a silly superstition. But essentially, this is one of those cute, regional, traditional practices that impresses visitors, but has little to do with basic Buddhist teachings. But still, it's for good luck and safe travels, and we all could use a little more of that, so why be in a rush to cut the string off? Enjoy your Buddhist blessing for months to come. So remember, next time you're in Thailand, try to get some monk to Taiwan on for you. (laughs) And that's all I have for you this week. The Daily Buddhism runs primarily from your donations and it's always easy to help out. Just go to www.dailybuddhism.com slash donate and click on one of the options there. Remember, if you choose the $5 a month recurring donation level, you'll automatically get a free subscription to the Weekly Buddhism PDF magazine. But of course, anything you send is appreciated and helpful. Keep in mind that the Daily Buddhism daily email newsletter is completely free and available to anyone. All you need to do is go to the site and sign up. No excuse not to try it. If you have any questions at all on Buddhism-related topics, send in your questions by email to me at brian at com, or phone them in 24 hours a day at the voicemail hotline, 937-660-4949. Or post your comments or questions in the comment section of any individual blog post. And I will see you next week.